So, happy Memorial Day, everyone. We also want to mention that happy Memorial Day as we honor uh, those who have gone before us, right? Those who have actually given their lives uh, to secure freedoms for us. There's something about that on this weekend I think is vitally important. We think about how do we honor those who have paved the way. Uh, we remember, we honor. And so I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day and trust that it will be full of, of good things, family, and, and lots of the blessings uh, that we have the privilege of enjoying. I also want to reiterate, uh, we had some pre-announcements and announcements, so this is your only post-announcement, which is to just reiterate, uh, next Sunday, in case you came in late for this service, we are not meeting at 10.30, we're meeting at... 10 o'clock. Yes, you got it. Yes, we got it. We got it. Uh, we're looking forward to that outdoor service. It's going to be our whole church family together. So both services gathered on the lawn and the patio, and so you can grab a space that works for you. And I think it'll be a wonderful expression of unity together as we're able to celebrate what God is doing and some a variety of different things, baptisms, picnic. Uh, a great opportunity to invite a friend. You know, if you've got some people in your life that you would say, hey, come on out and just get to know some of our church family. We've got some great people here. Uh, to introduce. Don't, don't introduce them to the not great people, but introduce them to the great people. I'm having a little fun. Uh, so one service, that's happening next week. I want to get right into uh, our scripture for today, which is Psalm 145. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. We're going to look at two passages um, in this psalm, and then we're actually kicking off a new series today called In My Generation, and so we're going to jump right in with that psalm. Uh, 145, I'm going to read verses 1 to 4, and then I'm also going to read verses 10 to 13, and that'll kind of be our anchoring point as we get started uh, here this morning. So Psalm 145, 1 and following, and it reads this way. I will exalt you, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. If you flip down to verse 10, it says, All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So today, we're going to start a new series entitled, In My Generation. I believe this represents a powerful and timely invitation for us as a church. This is one of the things that I have loved about being your pastor is that this is truly a multi-generational gathering of believers and, and long before that was true, I, I loved this topic. One of the things that Amy and I have found great joy in is investing in the next generation. That's why we spent 11 years working with the campus ministry, just investing down, investing down, investing down. And then we've been here now for almost 10 years in this, in this current role um, and seeing what God is doing across the generations of this church. And so as I begin to think about this and as we kind of set a foundational kind of setting today, been thinking like, what would we like to see happen as we go through these next several weeks together? Well, here's a few things. I, I'm praying that God would allow our church family to find even greater joy in the partnership between younger and older generations. I'm praying that we will invite 
the blessing of God in every generation of our church. And we're gonna, we're gonna be intentional on that front here even today. We're praying that God will work in us in a way that is markedly different than the world. You know, there, there is something about what God can do that, that there's things that God can do the world can't give you. There's gifts that God can pour out the world can't give you. There's things that are unique to being a Christ follower. And so maybe some of those would even come to light in a special way as we go through this generation. I'm praying that we'll have a little fun along the way. We learn from each other. These are good things as well. I'm praying that we will be intentional about our next generation calling. That has been something that has been a hallmark of this church family for years, four generations. And so may God continue to to unpack our next generation calling. So I'd like to begin today's message really with a question. The question is, is the new generation simply a weak example of the old or a weak echo of the older one? This has been part of the the tension that has been felt from age immemorial. People asking the question or, or making the statement, you know, when I was a kid, things were different. Anybody, how many of you have said that? And you're like, you know, when I was a kid, and that's a reflection of the differences of the generation. It wasn't like this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we worked hard. When I was a kid, people were tougher. When I was a kid, we walked nine miles to school, uphill, both ways. Some of you remember. In the snow, all year long. The new generation, is it just a week Uh, echo of the older one. So Jason Feifter addresses this question in his writing on the ubiquitous generation gap. And I think we have to understand this a little bit. We're going to set this stage just a little bit today, understanding this concept of a generation gap. This is the sociological theory of a generation that first came to light in the 1960s when the younger generation that is now known as the baby boomers, raise your hand if you're a baby boomer. There you go. There you go. We got some baby boomers. We got people from every generation in this church. The baby boomers seemed to go against everything that their parents had previously believed. Their music was different. Their values were weird. Their governmental and political views, as well as their cultural taste, they had a generation saying, we don't even know what to do with this. It was not unique to the baby boomer generation. It's been something that has happened over years, over every generation. Uh, This was the, the time frame where people started saying, never trust anyone over 30. How many of you heard that when you were growing up? Never, never trust anyone over 30. And if you don't know who said that, surprisingly, it was Fred Rogers. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't Fred. <laughs> it was not Mr. Rogers. And remember, kids, never trust anyone over 30. Um, I just thought it'd be funny if he did, but he didn't. It was said by Jack Weinberg, who was a political activist at Cal Berkeley in the 1960s, but it represented this notion of the generation gap. Like, can you really trust the people who think differently than you? Can you trust your parents' or grandparents' generation? Sociologists now refer to the generation gap as the institutional age segregation, which sounds like much of a, too much of a mouthful, so I'm not going to use that. But I I would suggest to you today that as far as you can go back 
in a historical context, you will find traces of the generation gap. You could even make the argument that you could go all the way back to Adam and Cain if you want to. I'm not going to go that far back today, but if you look at things like ancient Greek manuscripts, you can read ancient Greek manuscripts 600 to 300 BC, where uh, this was a common phrase that, that began to, to, to come forward. Children are becoming tyrants. They're contradicting their parents. Children are wolfing down the best treats at the table. So in ancient Greece, they were having some trouble with the generation gap. Plautus, who was a Roman playwright in, in uh, 185 BC, his plays were kind of like ancient versions of, of sitcoms, and they often debated whether fathers should be strict or indulgent toward the moral failings of their sons. Generation gap. Seneca the elder, who was in the first century AD, he said this, our young men have grown slothful. Their talents are left idle. There is not a single honorable occupation for which they will toil. And I'm sharing these quotes with you to just simply say that throughout the generations, there has been tension in every culture, on every continent, in every age. There is a notable friction between one generation and the next. It's not a new story. And yet in each generation, interestingly, certain progress is made, certain problems are solved, new challenges are identified, and then the cycle repeats itself again with another generation coming up into power and wondering what's wrong with the ones that's following them. Today, when you think about language, technology, relationships, work, money, entertainment, values, you see elements of the generation gap. But what about faith? What about worship? What is it about our relationship with God that transcends the relational differences among us? And that's probably a foundational bit of the heart and the hope that we run into in this series. So today's message, I'm entitling Our Highest Calling, our highest calling. As we get the series rolling, we're gonna to try to paint a high altitude picture of the opportunity that God has given our church in this season. We are a multi-generational church and there is great potential to grow together as we pursue the glory of God. So the question I would ask you to think about, can we, by God's grace, take hold of some of the opportunities that are before us? And as we go through these next several weeks, can we, by God's grace, avoid some of the pitfalls or the friction along the way? So I'll remind you, Psalm 145, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. I want to look at really just two points, very similar in wording, but very important in their scope today. The first one is God's glory and your calling. I want you to think personally about this. And here's the bottom line, that your greatest calling at any age of life and the greatest achievement that you can attain, the greatest pursuit to which you can dedicate your life is the glory of God. Now, people pursue all kinds of things. Right now, when you, if you were to take inventory of your life, you're pursuing all kinds of things. That's what life looks like. 
They dedicate their lives to all kinds of achievements, and many times, here's what we find, that there are many things that the almighty dollar cannot buy, that fame and beauty, the fool's errand of trying to get or keep them, because they're fleeting, that relationships can let you down, We find that there's all kinds of idols that we're tempted to go after in life. But when placed in the proper context, God actually breathes life and purpose into all of these things so that they're no longer idols for us. Financial gain becomes a call to greater stewardship. Instead of our personal fame, we live for the name of Jesus. Instead of making idols of our relationships, we enjoy them as the gifts from God that they are and we build them on his indwelling presence. So several passages that we're gonna look at in this series come from the Old Testament. We're gonna really lean in to some Old Testament passages. One of them here is from Jeremiah chapter two. In verse 13, God says this through the prophet Jeremiah to his people. He says, my people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Like they've missed out on the glory of God. That though this was something that could be their great pursuit and an invitation into a relationship with them, they're forsaking me. They're missing out on the most important thing in their life. That's number one. And then number two, they've dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. I think that that Old Testament passage is, an, is a powerful snapshot of what's wrong with our world. And when my life is sideways and when your life is sideways, oftentimes we look at it and realize we're we're investing in the wrong things. We're going after all the wrong things and we wonder why we tend to get sideways. Here's the point we want you to see. What you live for matters. What you live for matters. Most of us spend a lot of our lives very busy and very distracted. What do I mean by those two things? Well, we're busy because we got work and we've got obligations. We've got schedules that make it feel like we're passive participants in our own lives. You ever feel like that? I've just got to get here and I got to get here and I get to the next thing. And you get to the end of the day and you get to the end of the week, you get to the end of the month and you're like, what have I been doing? I know I've been busy. I know I've been running. But what, what about the trajectory of my life? What about stillness? What about being able to, to really think in the direction I'm going? We're busy. We're hurried to the next event. We're hurried to the next milestone. We're even hurried to the next break. You know what I mean? We just get to that place and just, I finally get a break. How many of you have some plans for the summer ready to go? How many are excited about those plans? That's good. Yes, I'm good. we got some plans for the summer. But a lot of times we just, just run, 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 run until we get to that next thing. We're hurried. We're busy. And then we're distracted You know, we live these lives that are kind of defined by escapist kind of entertainment, downtime that's marked by mindless exhaustion. Uh, There's a distinct lack of stillness, a distinct lack of reflection in our lives. But what we live for matters. That's why this is, that's why, you know, when we think about what does it mean to live for the glory of God? Well, if you go back to things like the Westminster Confession, it begins talking about the chief end of man is to glorify God and, do you know it? Enjoy him forever. I mean, that was a pretty simple Psalm 145 sort of thing to do, the the glory of God. Well, leave it to John Piper, 
uh, who, uh, to challenge that, to challenge the, the ancient Westminster Confession and say, you know, this whole idea of like enjoy God and uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever sort of feels like we sort of do one or the other. And so he wrote his whole book and his whole ministry around this notion of the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That one little change of word gave launch to the Desiring God book, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist, which if you want a book that's going to take you half the summer to read and really get through it, I highly recommend it, but it challenges your notion of what does it really mean to live for the glory of God. A lot, I'll tell you, some of us have not stopped to think about that question. Most of us don't. Why? We're busy, we're distracted, we're running. Psalm 145 calls us to this beautiful calling of the glory of God. If you want another good book uh, that would take you a little while to get through, perhaps, I first encountered Os Guinness um, when I was reading his book, The Call. Has any, have any of you read that book, The Call by Os Guinness? Yes, some of you have. Uh, read it. I, I'd love to see more hands on that one. It's really, it's really good. What, what I was struck by as, I, as I'm reading this book was, you know, if you ever read an author, you're just like, who is this guy? I mean, like, is there any subject that he does not have extensive knowledge on? I mean, one moment he's talking about world economic policies, and in another chapter he's talking about art and literature, history, and all of this stuff. I mean, it is, I, I described the book as dizzyingly brilliant, but surprisingly readable, even for a guy like me who didn't know how to pronounce Dostoevsky when I first read it. He ends his book on calling with a bit of an epilogue that he calls Entrepreneurs of Life. And I'd like to read you just a couple clips from that. It's fairly long, um, but I'll just read you a couple clips. He says this, as entrepreneurs of life, we respond to the great call of our creator, follow me. I mean, that's, that's essentially what it is to become a Christian, is to respond to the call of Christ in our lives to follow him. We therefore count the cost, consider the risks, and set out on each day as a venture to multiply our gifts and opportunities in order to bring glory to God and to add value to his world. Now he goes on to say that while we may lose our jobs and our health, we may retire from a career, we really never retire from our calling until that final call, which is death, and that leads us into the climax and consummation of all calling. For on that day... For the first time, we will not only listen to the word, but we will see the caller face to face, and we will find ourselves in the Father's home forever. So he concludes with this that I have up on the screen. In the meantime, that is our journey until our life's last day. The passion of our lives is to go further, higher, deeper, always closer to the one who called us once and calls us still to himself and to all the joys that knowing him can mean. Like, so the beauty of this high calling on your life is that you can be a little child, five years old, and say, I'm, I'm saying yes to the relationship with Jesus. It's beautiful. And yet you can spend the rest of your life contemplating the question, what does it mean for my life to bring glory to God? Like, what does that actually mean? And you'll run out of life before you finally conclude the answer. It's so vast. It's so deep. It's so multifaceted. And that in and of itself is beautiful. That's why we continue to grow. So if by God's grace 
you were to get the first point of this message somewhere in your heart, I would suggest that you've covered most of what I can give you as a pastor or a preacher. Your greatest calling at any age of life, the greatest achievement to which you can attain, the greatest pursuit to which you can dedicate your life is the glory of God. So some of you are saying, okay, that sounds good, but what does that have to do with the generations? I'm glad that you asked because that's what takes us to point number two. God's, God's glory and our calling. What does this mean collectively for us? Let me remind you again, Psalm 145, where we left off. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. He goes on to say, they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And he goes on to say, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. What is God's glory and our collective calling? One thing I would like to say that's sort of an interesting little sidebar, this might be a different sermon for a different time, but I'll note it. It is interesting when we think about one generation commending your works to another. We see that God has given us an incredible opportunity to live that out here. Every generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And, and, and it strikes me that it actually doesn't just simp simply speak linear, linearly, though it does speak that way. You know, the older investing in the younger, the parents teaching their children and all of that generational flow. But it's not exclusively that. It's one generation commending your work to another. You can learn from those who are younger than you. Did you know that? In fact, the older you get the more opportunities you're gonna to have to do it. That's just sort of a fact of life. I find it interesting that we actually started the service today with one of the youngest among us, five years old, saying, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. And our faith is increased, and our smiles and, and our hearts are warmed, our lives, what? She's, she's speaking into your life. You know, I love that. Some of you are older than me, and yet you give me the privilege of speaking into your life, of being able to say, let, let me share God's word with you. Let me, let me speak this to you. So you learn from those who are younger, and the older you get, the more opportunity you're gonna have to do that. But God has given us an incredible opportunity to live out the heart of this passage. This passage that is so beautiful in worship, you know, the, the psalmist says, I'm gonna exalt you, my God and King, and then he goes on to do that. Psalm 146 begins, praise the Lord. Psalm 147, praise the Lord. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Psalm 150, you got it. Praise the Lord. You know, he's, he's living this out. And, and here's what I, what I begin to see as I read through the Psalms and this notion of the glory of God that the Psalms convey the spectrum of life. Therein you will find the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat and wisdom for living and cautions and warnings and the bitterness of guilt and shame and the beautiful reality of repentance and redemption. It's as if God is not shocked and nor is he distant from any part of the human experience. In fact, he engages us on all of these levels. One of the things that one commentator notes is that this passage teaches the doctrine of the incomprehensibility of God 
which is a bit of a mouthful, but essentially means this, that people can have a true understanding of God, but you will never have a complete or exhaustive one. So right now, if you're leaning into the who God is and what he said and what he's done and what he will do, you are gaining a true picture of who God is. But the doctrine of incomprehensibility says you're never gonna have a complete or exhaustive one. And that's actually good news. It means you keep growing. It means you keep learning. It means that you have probably learned things in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, beyond that you didn't know before. A new reflection or a new refraction of the beauty of Christ. I want to talk with you for just a few minutes about life phases because, again, I think this is a bit of a foundational message. I think this is important for us to understand. When I think about life phases, phases, uh, and this is not, uh, these lines are not uh, written in Sharpie. You know what I mean? There's, there's some, some flexibility here. But I think about like the dependent years. Some of you are raising kids. Maybe they're in elementary or middle school. And uh, in your dependent years, you're largely under your parent or guardian's roof and authority. You're, you're kind of learning the basics of life. Uh, but you are dependent. You know, there's not a whole lot you can get out and just do on your own without a little bit of help from mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whatever. So the dependent years are a real thing. And then you kind of get into your learning years, which I would call your teenager and, and 20s. You know, now you start kind of making some independent choices. This is where you start making your faith your own. This is where you start to learn to drive a car legally. This is where you finish high school and maybe you go to college. Maybe you join the workforce. Maybe you continue on in schooling. But either way, you're learning. You're learning. You're learning. You're starting to, to gather things. You're seeing things in the life of your parents that you would say, I would do that differently. And you're seeing things in the life of your parents that say that, I would do that that way. You're seeing things in the life of other people. You're starting to learn. You're starting to learn. You're starting to grow. Josh Billings said this. He said, you know, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have that old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> the learning years. Uh, the building years in your 30s and 40s. We have a lot of people that are in that phase of life that are here. It's where you're building your career. It's where you're building your family if you're called to family life. It's where you're building experience, influence, you're networking, you're upgrading your car. You're finally able to afford a car that might actually get you where you're gonna go without breaking down. Some of us have had that experience. You're also putting on a little extra weight around the middle, so you begin to build on the disciplines of diet and exercise, and some of us probably wished when we were in our 30s and 40s, I wish I could kind of capture all that I know now, but still have the metabolism that I had when I was 20. Life is changing. Physical changes are happening. You hit the resourced years, your 50s and 60s. Now you probably have a little bit more earning power and because you experience setbacks and failures in your learning years and in your building years, you have now gained an incredible resource called wisdom. Wisdom. Some of us are entering into the 50s and 60s. Let me encourage you. 40 is the old age of youth. I'm hanging on to my 40s by a thread, in case you're wondering. 40 is the old age of youth, but 50 is the youth of old age. So when I turn that corner in the 50s, hey, I'm, just, I'm young again. The youth of old age. 
Then we get to the honor years. 70s, 80s, 90s. And we've got that in our church as well, all of that. In your honor years, you become some of the most valuable prayer warriors because spiritual leadership now begins to eclipse physical action. You may actually start connecting the dots on just what God was up to in those parts of life that you didn't quite understand. You start thinking about legacy in the life of those who will come after you. You are honored, yes, but you're, you're, you're still active. And, and my encouragement continues to be keep pouring out. Keep going with the strength that God's given you. Why? Because you, you're not done yet. You know, we, we need you to stay in the game. You may be in the game a little differently than you used to be, and may, you might be wrestling with that even now. But help the learners. Help the builders by asking them where they want to be when they're your age. Show them how to invest in a healthy marriage and healthy family and healthy boundaries. I'm setting this stage just a little bit for us today. We're going to talk about some of these in greater detail as the series unfolds, but I want you to see this. In every one of these phases, God is working. God is at work and desires to be at work in every one of these phases. I don't know what the scope of my life will be. I don't know if I'll ever even make it to the resource years or the honor years or whatever, but God is at work in every phase. You're not too young to be active in your faith. You're not too young to actually start helping other people grow in their faith. You're not too old to light fires in the next generation and to pray for hunger in the next generation and to serve God faithfully. I uh, saw this, heard this example from Francis Chan. I like to listen to him. He's a great speaker. And he was talking about this notion of sort of two candles and if I was better prepared, maybe I would have brought two candles. That would have really brought the illustration to you. But imagine two candles. You got a big one and a little one. And one of the things that you do when you have kids is you sort of do the big and little game. You know, there's a, a big truck and a little truck. And daddy's the big truck and you're the little truck and you're coming alongside. You do this with your kids, right? And he said, you know, you get to this illustration with a candle and you'd be tempted to think you got the big candle, the dad or the mom and the little candle, the little one coming. And he goes, actually, you got to invert that. Because the older you are, the less wick and wax you have left. And that's actually true. And when we start to think that way, there's actually a real joy that comes because this is part of our next generation calling. Now here's the, so I, I get this picture in my mind. And I understand that for some of us, having less wax or wick or time is depressing. It may be upsetting. But it's only upsetting if I'm living for my own glory, right? So there's something actually very freeing when I'm able to say, you know, I'm living for the glory of God with whatever he has given me to live for him. And so when I think about the, the reality of more, my mortality or the, the time frame that I'm on and say, but I'm living for the glory of God, well, guess what I can do with the little candle that I've got left? I can light fires, I can light fires. I can light fires. One of my favorite things that we do in our Christmas Eve service, we light the fire, light the candle lighting that we, one to the next, to the next, to the next. You can light almost unlimited amounts of fires with a little candle. And we ought to think that way for the glory of God, to pray for hunger in the next generation, to pray for God's work in the next generation. God is at work in every one of these phases. 
So I'd like to sort of conclude this way and just have us pray. Um, we're going to get this thing kicked off. I just want to pray a blessing over you. Normally what we do at the end of the service is we just say like, hey, everybody stand up, you know, receive. We're going to pray this blessing and prayer of commitment, whatever it would be. Uh, but today I want to I just sort of talk to you as individual groups. I'm going to ask you to stand. Uh, and and I, I have to tell you, this was sort of funny. In the first service, um, I asked all of our 70 and older people to stand up. And somebody came up to me and said, I turned 70 two weeks ago. And now you're making me stand up. In the old generation, if you had just done this, Two weeks previous, I'd be in a whole new phase of life. So if you're embarrassed, we just you stand up when you're ready. It's all good. It is all for the glory of God. If it is all for the glory of God, then we will not become conceited by the good things that he has done among us. The ways in which he chooses to use us and the moves in which he chooses to do, we won't really get conceited about that because we're simply in a place of being the, you know, the, the receivers of a gift that we didn't deserve in the first place and it was all for his glory. And so we just keep giving him praise. We'll give him praise back for the good work that he does. So there's a good insulation there. If it is all for the glory of God, we will not feel threatened by the good things that he is going to do in the coming generations. And this is an age-old challenge, right? You know, that if the next generation is going to mess it up. You know, we're going to give them the keys to the car, and they're going to wreck it. No. They're going to make mistakes, but they're going to have new calling. There's going to be new seasons. There's going to be new wineskins. There's going to be new kingdom advances. There's going to be new things. There's going to be new efforts. There's, <laughs> it's all going to be a, a new thing that the Lord is doing. And so he gives us the opportunity to bless the next generation. So I, I want to just ask you to, to stand as a sign of, of your commitment. And our prayer is simply this. Look, God would be glorified in my generation. That's kind of the heart of this. Lord, be glorified in my generation. Your generation needs the glory of God, whichever one you find yourself in. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to all stand together, but I'm going to start with those who, who are 70, 80, 90, or above, would you just stand up, receive this as a blessing because we want to honor you. Go ahead, there you go, Miss Meredith. Miss Meredith, you should probably stand on your chair. That way we'll, <laughs> I'm just having fun. We love you. We honor you for your vision. We honor you for blazing trails. We honor you for investing in kingdom principles that we now benefit from. I mean, some of you maybe haven't been around this church for a long time, but some of you have been around for the long haul. Man, and you have, you have prayed and sweat and worked and, and done countless things that most of us don't, don't even recognize. But we're gonna talk in this series about how do we honor up? How do we honor up? How do we honor up? We honor you today. So just receive that. May God be glorified in your generation. If you are 50 in the 50s or 60s, would you guys stand up? We want to bless you today. We want to encourage you to invest down. Think about young builders and learners that need you. Their marriages need your advice and prayers. Their careers need your experience. Their spiritual development. You know, just this is the thing that gets me a little bit emotional. Just say, like, when you know somebody has already walked that line, whoa, that is so big. You know, and so people looking to you 
in your 50s and 60s, and some of you are saying, yeah, but I'm still learning, I'm still growing. That's the point, right? That's the point. You keep growing, you keep learning. You're blazing more trails for those who come after you, so keep thinking that. Uh, 30s and 40s, uh, stay standing if you would, uh, but raise, uh, sta- stand uh, if you're in your 30s and 40s. Uh, I-, I would simply say this to, to, to my people, you know, some of the folks that are in my generation. Be very careful what foundations you choose to build on because that platform will determine so much of our lives that will come. So it's important, but we bless you in a, in a vital season of life, a busy season of life, a challenging season of life. May God be glorified in your generation. If you're a teenager or in your 20s today, uh, could you guys stand up? Yeah, we got lots of you guys. That's awesome. Oh, boy. See, the problem with teenagers is today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm just having fun. We bless you and God's work in your generation. Actively seek mentors. Actively seek wisdom. Be patient. Be selfless. Ask God for these things. Actively seek revival in your generation. Pray for these things. We are with you. May God be glorified in your generation. I know most of our elementary school kids have probably left the the room. Some of you might be here, and so if you're here in elementary school or middle school, you can go ahead and stand up. I can't get through this part. (laughs) I got all choked up last time I did this. Because this is the next generation. This is a, you guys are coming up. You're coming up. It's not going to be too long. And we're going to be looking to you to hear the voice of God and to make your mark on this world. And so we just, we just speak over you. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Just, just, you are not too young to start going after the presence of God in your life. You are not too young to go after a dynamic relationship with Jesus. You're not just a kid. You are a kid, but we love you as a kid, and, and, and you are a mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God in the making. That's how we see you. May God be glorified in your generation. So, I want to just pray. You can just receive, say, hey, Lord, this is me. Just put your hands out. Say, Lord, may you be glorified in my generation. That's, that's our simple prayer today as we start this, uh, this series off. Lord, we are asking that at every phase, even if we're struggling with the phase that we're in today. Some of us are wrestling. I don't, I don't know if I like this phase. I don't know if I figured out this phase of life. You know, some of us might be saying that. Lord, we invite your glory in our generation. We invite the work of Christ, the fullness of your spirit, the revival power of God in our generation. Lord, we we would commit, as we go through this series, we're gonna talk about this more, but Lord, we just commit even now. We're gonna honor up and we're gonna invest down. We're gonna honor up and we're gonna invest down for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we might even step into a new season of joy, a new season of partnership, a new season of learning, and that we would have some fun on the way. 
we are grateful for the body of Christ and the work that you are doing in each generation. So teach us and lead us as we receive from you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Say it louder. Amen. Amen. Yes, we are in agreement together. And uh, we're going to uh, conclude our service with a beautiful song, Speaking Jesus. Team, why don't you lead us?